You are listening to Creating Phenomenal for Your Life, episode number six, our relationship with sleep. This is Creating Phenomenal for Your Life. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a lover of learning, a life and weight loss coach, and a family medicine doctor. This podcast is about mindset. What contributes to a life that thrives versus one that is stuck? We'll talk about many things, some related to coaching, some related to health, and some related to your questions, thoughts, and prompts. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to celebrate where we're at and give form to where we're going in our perfectly imperfect journey to a phenomenal life, and give high fives along the way. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Today we're going to talk about a very specific relationship and it's our relationship with sleep. When it's good, sleep is our best friend. And when it's not, man, it can be filled with anger and frustration and guilt, especially when we sacrifice our sleep. The discussion is going to be from both a doctor perspective and from a coaching perspective. And specifically from the coaching perspective, we're going to look at how you can coach yourself. So let's start with some of the basics. The average adult American needs about seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Seven to nine. There are at least five million doctor visits per year around sleep. And it's estimated that one third to two thirds of adults have symptoms of sleep problems that don't meet the definition of insomnia, but note some type of disruption with sleep. Finally, 10 to 15% of adults have chronic insomnia. 10 to 15%. That's a lot of us. The definition of insomnia is difficulty with sleep initiation, so falling asleep, duration, or staying asleep, or the quality of sleep despite the adequate opportunity that results in some form of daytime impairment. And it can be a combination of things, but it also requires daytime problems too. We're going to geek out for a moment and talk about the sleep architecture. So this is the structure of our sleep. And in a lab or in a diagnostic setting, it's measured by the electricity of the brain that's recorded in brain waves and measured by the electroencephalogram. So that's lots of tiny electrodes that are scattered all around the head, measuring the brain waves to get a sense of where somebody's at in a sleep cycle or a sleep stage. There's two types of sleep. First is the non-rapid eye movement sleep, and this is measured in three stages. And then there's the rapid eye movement sleep, only one stage. So first, the non-REM or rapid eye movement sleep, and it's measured by the type of brain wave as well as the amplitude of those waves. So the first stage is called N1. This is that transition from wake to sleep It's the lightest stage. It's the one where your eyes roll or your eyes slow, your eyelids slowly go down, and people may not realize that they were asleep until something changes. Maybe the head falls or they're tapped on the shoulder by somebody nearby. Um, So very light sleep. N2, so the second stage of non-REM sleep, is the largest percentage of total sleep time in middle-aged adults. 
So this is 45 or 55% of the time, and this is estimated that we spend in this stage of sleep. And then finally, N3 is the deepest sleep. This is the sleep that's restorative, where someone is difficult to arouse. A larger percentage occurs in the first half of the night. And this is the type of sleep that decreases with age, so that N3 deep sleep. So next is the rapid eye movement sleep. And this is where you can observe it in others or you can observe it in your animals, the sharp eye movements, the variability in breathing, the involuntary movements. So it might be a jerking of a limb or a movement of a foot. It's where the dreaming is occurring. The sleep cycles go in order from N1, again, our lightest stage of sleep, to N2, to N3, the deepest sleep, to the REM sleep. And there are multiple cycles each night, and the percentage of time that we're in each one may change with each cycle. As we talked about earlier, the N3, the deep sleep, tends to occur earlier or in the first half of the night. So why do we sleep? It's a time to repair, to repair damage in the body, a time to produce and secrete hormones, a time to consolidate memories or make new neural pathways. Nobody really knows. It's a time to give the body a break and try to recharge it. So here's why we can't sleep or why we don't sleep. Number one, this is the most common of what I hear personally and professionally, which is stress and the unending to-do list. I intentionally put this first because it's so common. Many of us are walking around with a to-do list that's impossible, and then we carry the pressure of doing it, getting it done, or not doing it, along with judging ourselves on how we did. Oh, there's still five things. Oh, I'll never get to that, uh, which creates a lot of added pressure to get it done. Number two is our sleep environment. So the components of the sleep environment that may keep us from sleeping, one is the mattress. Next, the light, the amount of light in the room, the electronics that we use in our room or bring into our room. So the phone, the watch, the clock, the computer, the iPad. So whatever technology we're using, the temperature of the room and the amount of noise in the room. In researching for this podcast and looking at a Harvard Health letter, documents that blue light in electronics have been shown to suppress melatonin. So melatonin is one of the natural hormones that it increases to tell us to kind of slow down and go to sleep. So suppressing that means we don't have that same drive or that same hormonal regulation to go to sleep. It alters circadian rhythms. So these are those that 24-hour clock that we're on, that there's time to be awake and then there's time to slow down and go to sleep. It also shortens sleep time, decreases sleep quality, and increases the number of times we're waking up at night. So this is the blue light and electronics that we use that can have effects when we're using them prior to sleep. So number three is age. The architecture of our sleep changes as we grow older. Again, we said that that N3 stage of sleep, that deep sleep, decreases as we grow older. 
Number four is the hormonal status. So women in the perimenopausal time or the menopausal time have sleep changes that they didn't have during the younger years. Number five are mood symptoms, depression, anxiety, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Symptoms or diagnosis, um, this can affect sleep and can affect sleep greatly. It's estimated that 70 to 90% of those with post-traumatic stress disorder have difficulty sleeping. Number six is medical conditions. So traumatic brain injury and concussions, chronic diseases such as lung disease, heart disease, diabetes, chronic pain, those who have bladder problems, waking up at night to go to the bathroom is disruptive to sleep, sleep apnea, undiagnosed sleep apnea, or those diagnosed and use some type of device to sleep with, and restless legs. And this list is not all-inclusive. This is just to give you a sampling of medical conditions that affect sleep. Number seven are medications. The first category are stimulants, such as used with ADHD and narcolepsy. So stimulants are meant to increase the drive, increase the energy level, and they may last for a short period of time or they may last for a long period of time and be disruptive to sleep. It just depends on the type of medication. Next are medications that are directed at mood, depression or anxiety or PTSD. Those medications can have a stimulating property to them or can have effects in other ways on the sleep. The next category are medications for the heart or headaches can cause challenges with falling asleep. And another category is steroids. So dexamethasone, prednisone, great medications, necessary medications for many people, and estimated with prednisone a 50 to 70% chance of having a sleep disruption while taking that medicine. Number eight, travel and shift work. How this changes our circadian rhythms, it changes our sleep-wake cycles uh, and can be incredibly disruptive. And finally, number nine, the things that we consume. Alcohol can suppress or delay REM sleep. Caffeine. And caffeine can be in things that we drink, but it also can be in some medications. The half-life for caffeine is about five hours for adults. When we think about half-life, we think about how long it takes for the body to clear, which is about four to five half-lives. So for some people, the caffeine can still be in their body 20 to 25 hours later and be affecting sleep. Next is tobacco or recreational drugs. And then finally, heavy meals before bedtime can be disruptive to sleep. So what do we do? You've heard this before, I imagine. We work to improve our total sleep time, as well as our sleep quality. So here's the basics. Consistently going to sleep and waking up on a schedule every day. Having a routine to get to bed. So a routine that says the day is done, it's time to start winding down and preparing for sleep. Avoiding naps in the late afternoon and earlier if taking a nap, looking at the amount of time that's going to be restorative, that's not too much and not too little. Daily fitness or daily movement has been shown to improve total sleep time, the quality of sleep, 
and decreases the time to fall asleep. So all three areas that we mentioned is that are part of the diagnosis of insomnia, daily fitness and daily movement improve them. Setting up a conducive sleep environment, so a cool, quiet, dark, comfortable room, and avoiding those things that can be disruptive to sleep, such as cigarettes, caffeine, alcohol. Are you overwhelmed? (laughs) It's a lot of information that we just went through. You can really get a sense of how easily sleep can be disrupted. I listed nine things, but those aren't all of them. Those are just the ones that I could think of, and that wasn't with trying very hard. So just to summarize where we've been, sleep is complicated. Good sleep is not natural for adults. There are plenty of things to interfere with it. And for many of us, we've got room to improve our relationship with sleep, things that we can do. So here's what you can study about your relationship with sleep. So you can study you. How much time do you allow for sleep? Do you schedule it? Or is it what's available? Or is it squeezing it in? So looking at how much time are you allowing? How long is it taking you to fall asleep? From the time that your head is on the pillow until you fall asleep. An estimation of it. How many times are you waking up at night and why? Are you waking up because of the bathroom, or because you're hot, you're hurting? What is it that wakes you up and how many times? And if you're waking up, how long does it take you to fall back asleep? And then finally, how do you feel when you wake up? Are you ready to go and energized? Are you tired? Do things feel heavy? So what sleep quality did you get from the time that you spent for sleep? And then partner with your doctor. So your doctor, first to share what you've learned. In studying your sleep patterns, share the answers to those questions that we just listed. How much time you're allowing, how long to fall asleep, how many times you're waking, and how you feel when you wake up. Because they want to know. They need to know. This is important information. When you're spending seven to nine hours, or at least however many hours, we want to know what value you're getting from it. And then ask the questions. Are any of the medical things that you deal with contributing to sleep challenges? Are any of the medications you take contributing to sleep challenges? Does it sound like a sleep study is needed? So a study where you may be hooked up to electrodes to evaluate your sleep, to evaluate what's going on and which stages of sleep you're getting to or not getting to, Is a sleep study helpful? And then what are the next steps to really optimize your sleep from a medical perspective? So these are all things, all questions that you can ask your doctor and partner with your doctor to get the answers so that you're achieving the highest quality sleep that you can. And then coaching yourself. So anticipate overwhelm. If you're a little overwhelmed right now, that's okay. Anticipate that you will be because there's a lot of information that we've just covered and the mind when it's a when it's given something new Especially something that maybe we're not so confident about tends to go in overwhelm as a way to just protect us and keep us where we're at So anticipate the overwhelm and don't allow your mind to get involved. It's going to create a lot of drama 
It's unnecessary drama. So this is really about managing your thoughts. I've been thinking about sleep for a couple of weeks, and it it really came up a couple nights ago. We were staying over at a friend's house. The temperature was different than we have it set at home, and just wasn't sleeping. My mind wanted to become frustrated or angry, like, I just want to sleep. And then I had the opportunity to say, no, it's okay. I can't sleep. What else can I do with the time? I'm not a victim. What can I learn? And if I'm not going to sleep, well, is there something else? Faith is a big part of my life. So it was an opportunity to recite some of my favorite prayers. It was an opportunity to just think about the day ahead, things that I wouldn't normally do at that time of the night. I decided I wasn't a victim and I wasn't going to get caught up in frustration or anger. It was what it was. So anticipating overwhelm, managing the thoughts that come up, and then decide what's important to you. What is important to you? Is it leaving things as they are because your sleep quality is enough? Great. Stop there. Is it trying to improve your sleep quality or the time of sleep or prioritizing sleep? What is it? What is it you want and you're willing to work for? I meet a lot of people that want but aren't willing to do anything differently. So what is it that you're willing to take action on? And if a higher sleep quality is what you want, Go back to the first thing we talked about. Don't buy into overwhelm. And then pick one area to focus on. Just one. That's all you need. Is it your schedule for sleep? Is it creating a routine to close the day and prepare for sleep? Is it your environment? Is it adding movement or fitness? How about addressing caffeine or alcohol? Or maybe it's creating a to-don't list. Things you don't need to do or hiring help, or letting go that not everything is going to get done and it no longer needs to make your list. But just pick one. That's it. And see what changes. If you're a Dave Ramsey fan, so he's the financial guru that has a radio talk show, but lots of services available to teach people not only how to get out of debt, but how to build wealth. So he has what are called the baby steps. And these are the baby steps to both get out of debt and then build wealth. And he asked people to list all the debts in order from smallest to largest. And the reason is that if you pay minimum on all the debts except for the smallest one and use everything you have, you're going to eliminate that smallest one quickly. And then you take that and apply it to the next one and the next one and the next one. So you're seeing traction, you're seeing change, you're building momentum and confidence, and you're paying off debt. So maybe it's the same thing with sleep. List the areas that you want to focus on or that you think may benefit or may help to improve your sleep. List them from easiest to most difficult and start with the first one. Just pick one. Don't go into overwhelm about all of them and what it means because you don't know. Just pick one. Start there and see what happens. As you think about great sleep, think about how much it improves mood and decision-making. Boy, when you're well-rested, it's easier to make higher quality decisions. 
and to stand behind those decisions, to be committed. It's easier to bounce back if something doesn't go right or to come up with alternatives. And you can see how this really changes our lives. We've covered a lot of information today, the many factors that affect sleep. We've also talked about coaching yourself, adjusting your mindset to optimize sleep, studying your sleep, identifying what you want, looking at what you control, partnering with your doctor. Your doctor doesn't know unless you share, and bringing in data will be incredibly helpful to look at possibilities or evaluation that may be needed or adjustments. Going back to coaching yourself, so not buying into overwhelm, listing out the perceived easiest to hardest when it comes to adjusting your sleep practices or behavior, and pick one. Start with the easiest one and just do that. And when you've got that, go to the next one and see how you're doing and compare your sleep how it is now to how it used to be. Regardless of the outcome with your sleep, a phenomenal mindset is always available. And this is the ingredient for a phenomenal life in mind, body, and spirit. I'm totally on your team and cheering for you and sending a high five. I'll see you next time. Let's stay connected. Sign up for regular emails at georgemdcoaching.com forward slash freebie and you'll receive a guide on the five obstacles to your ideal weight. That's georgemdcoaching.com forward slash F-R-E-E-B-I-E.